Hi, and welcome to Sides Podcast. I'm Paul Carney. I think all of us at one point or another have wanted to run off to the circus. My guest today, Liz Fentress, actually did join the circus. She's also been a part of some great theater organizations over the years. These days, she's a playwright. Uh, I'll let her tell you about all of that, but I had a great time uh, catching up with Liz, and I think you'll enjoy hearing her story as well. Uh, A little housekeeping, I just want to remind you, however you're listening to us today, that we can be found on Stitcher and on iTunes. If you find us in either place, uh, give us a rating and also share our podcast with your friends. Anyway, without further ado, I want to introduce Liz Fentress. I was trying to go through what I know of your bio from talking to you in the past and things like that. And, you know, it's the usual thing, I think, when we meet somebody, talk to them a little bit, you know, you, you, we don't sit down and interrogate each other very much. So I'll start with the really basic stuff. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in northern Wisconsin mm-hmm. uh, in a small town on Lake Superior, mm-hmm. a town of, I guess, 10,000 people. Uh, there was a small college in the town, which... I always think a college in a town is a healthy thing because mm-hmm. people are moving in and moving out. They're bringing in new ideas, new ways of looking at life. Mm-hmm. I used to babysit for a lot of the professors' families. So I met, even though I grew up in a small town in northern Wisconsin on Lake Superior, I met people from other from away mm-hmm. who, I don't know, finished a degree someplace and come to teach. It, it was a liberal arts college. So I think that's healthy to... To, to, at a young age, be exposed to people who have different ways of thinking, bring in different points of view. Sure. So that's, yeah, that's where I grew up. What was the town? Ashland. Ashland. What was the college? Northland College. Still there? Yeah. yeah. It's got an environmental focus now. Mm-hmm. I think originally, maybe it was founded by a church, but even when I was a child, that affiliation had ended. Sure. And it was known as a small liberal arts college. As the environmental uh, movement developed... They they saw that that was maybe an opportunity for them, so I think they push that now. You know, I think they have green dormitories mm. and probably a number of degrees in outdoor recreation or mm. environmental stewardship, that kind of thing. I think there's a big ecological center there now, mm-hmm. so it's um, it's got that kind of green environmental focus. Mm-hmm. Did you come from a big family, small family? Uh, four children. Okay, so, and I'm the youngest of four. What did your folks do? Uh, my father was a soil conservationist, uh-huh. which is um, taking care of the dirt. Sure. He was an early, I mean, as what we'd say now was a an early environmentalist. Mm-hmm. I mean, a soil, conservation, a soil conservationist is someone who is interested in good stewardship of the land, you know, taking care of the dirt. So in that Lake Superior Basin runoff, mm-hmm. it's an issue. A lot of the dirt wants to run off into sure. the lake. So it was developing... Um, systems, um, engineering, so that the soil they could keep the soil on the land. Mm-hmm. I was telling you, I grew up just above New Orleans, but yeah. both my families uh, were farm. Or my mother and my father were both from farm families in yeah. South Mississippi. Wow! And wow. we still have the land uh, where my mom grew up. Wow! Um, but I still remember as a kid, because I think the family, you know, originally got the land in like 1840 or something like that. Wow. So by the time I was a kid. Um, We'd be walking down through one of the fields, and we'd be on the road going through the fields. And I noticed one day that the field itself was so much lower than the road. And I asked my dad about it. I was probably 12 at the time. 
And that was the first time anybody explained soil erosion to me. Right. And when I realized right. that, you know, eight inches of topsoil had been lost mm-hmm. over the years, that kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I'd never even thought, oh, wait, dirt goes Moves. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have no idea. Yeah. No, yeah. we really don't. So did they grow cotton in, uh, in Mississippi? <gasps> they did at one point. Okay, or all um, of the above. They yeah. over. I think when my mom was growing up, it was mostly cotton. Yeah. And then it slowly moved over to the typical you know, duo of the United States, soybean and corn. I see. Okay. Um, And then these days, gosh, since my my dad passed, um, it's just gone fallow, which on the one hand, I'm kind of happy about. Yeah, sure. Um, On the other hand, it's like, we got all this land. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that's that stewardship idea. Right. Right. How do you let it be itself, but also be responsible about owning it? Right. Right. Um, Or owning it in quotes, being, being a temporary... Uh, steward Caregiver, yeah yeah whatever, yeah so he was a soil <clears throat> conservationist yep and that was I, i'm assuming that's what he did lifelong yeah, yeah it's not something you just got to drop into no he worked for the, it, it was uh he worked for the department of agriculture mm-hmm. so yeah lifelong yeah and your mom her college degree was in business oh wow yeah business administration uh then had four kids mm-hmm. so was home most of the time by the time i was in maybe in middle school she started teaching. She mm-hmm. went back and got a ma- or worked on a master's degree. I don't think she ever finished it. Mm-hmm. But there were a number of um, great society programs, Lyndon Johnson's mm-hmm. programs, for teaching young people how to read. So she became a remedial reading teacher. The idea was this, if you got to high school and you still couldn't read, you needed somebody needed to pay attention. Sure. So she worked with uh, young people in high school who were, you know, who who uh, better use of time for them to work on reading skills than to sit in a social studies class and pretend to know what was going on and not. Mm-hmm. So she taught remedial reading then for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. Wow, good for her. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. And again, I'm sure funded by the Great Society. Which for some reason these days is just such a radical idea. Yeah, right, right. We can get off on that tangent in a second. But <laughs> So you grew up in a, obviously a, a household that respected education. Yeah. You took that in a little bit different direction yourself, though. Did you, and I, I'm, I'm thinking mostly of, you know, your involvement with writing and with theater over the years. Right. Was that something that um, you kind of leaned toward as a kid, or did that come later? About that college in my small uh-huh. town, uh-huh. they had a summer theater program, summer stock. Mm-hmm. And I think it was all people from Ball State Indi- in Indiana mm-hmm. would come up for the summer. Maybe the... You know, it was probably there was a theater department at that college. Maybe it was one or maybe two people, but it must have been a Ball State grad. So every summer, that Ball State grad would get all his buddies to come up, and mm-hmm. they'd do a summer season. And in my hometown, the young people that I grew up with thought what a great thing to do every night was to get in their cars and drive up and down Main Street. And I I was happy to do that one night, and we drove up and down Main Street, and I thought, wow, this is this is great. You drive up and down Main Street. Well, they wanted to do that the next night. <laughs> and I said, we did that last night, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I suppose my parents took me to a play. Actually, I can remember going to The Rivals at that college, seeing um, a production of The Rivals. And what, what it, whatever it was, a year or two later, I can remember seeing in the paper, <clears throat> noticed that they were going to have auditions. They, they were doing Inherit the Wind. And they needed, you know, a couple of, of kids. And I remember demanding of my mother that she drive me up to the college for those auditions. So at age, I suppose I was in, I don't know, sixth or seventh grade, 
Um, I, I played the role of Melinda in that wonderful play, Inherit the Wind. So all of a sudden, uh, I was exposed again to a larger world than driving up and down Main Street <laughs> in different ways of thinking. I mean, sure. that play is a challenge to what I was taught. We, we went to Lutheran Church, but, uh, you know, Clarence Darrow is the character. Hmm. Um, you know, he's challenging at the Scopes Monkey Trial that way of thinking. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I hadn't bought the Lutheran dogma hook, line, and sinker at that point. I was trying to still figure things out. And here was this play that said, you know, it's a good book, but it's not the only book. Mm -hmm. And so that was a profound and powerful influence on my young mind. Plus, you know, all the excitement of rehearsing a play and then seeing the set and, and getting a costume. And these were, again, I think they were all Ball State people. It was, you know, they did a great job. And they had good taste in dramatic literature. Mm -hmm. They did Inherit the Wind. They did Thurber Carnival. Oh, gosh, they did a great play by Paul Osborne. I'm not going to remember the title. It'll come to me. Anyway, so uh, they did The Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder. I mean, it was, so you were exposed to, to really fine dramatic mm -hmm. literature. So, yeah, so that was kind of, it was that college that introduced me to that other channel that was available, I mm -hmm. guess. So I'm, I'm guessing <clears throat> from there, you did theater through high school. Yeah, although the, the high, my high school did not have a really good theater department. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a frustration, and I think if they had had a good theater department, mm -hmm. I could have gotten it out of my system. <laughs> you know, I could have done it and said, okay, I did that, let's move on. But right, because right. I kept, you know, I kept wanting it. Mm -hmm. I kept having that need to do more, and the high school did not have it to offer. So that was frustrating, and I... Sure. So, well, the other thing that happened was I... I got that practical experience at the college in my small at the small college in my small hometown, but my um, a, a lot of my, both my parents were from the Twin Cities from mm -hmm. Minneapolis. So, and my grandparents still lived in Minneapolis. So when we went down to Minneapolis, it was when the Guthrie Theater was just mm -hmm. opening. Mm -hmm. That whole you know regional theater movement was just starting. So I mean I can remember seeing a production of Valponi when I was. Oh, gosh, again, sixth or seventh grade. I mean, and it, this was when Tyrone Guthrie was the artistic director. So he was bringing in all of the, you know, the best actors in the English-speaking world. It was Jessica Tandy and Hugh Cronin and Lee Richardson and Douglas Campbell. That's an amazing experience I for know. somebody right. at that point in life, yeah. Right, you come out of the woods where everything <laughs> is pine trees and cows, and, and you go to this, you know, the, that space was phenomenal. Um, you know, an asymmetrical thrust mm -hmm. stage. And, you know, back in the day, they announced the beginning of the, the top of the act with clarion trumpets. <laughs> it was, you know, such fanfare. I mean, and Guthrie was known for that, right. for, for that uh, kind of fanfare and spectacle. So you see these peoples. And again, that was great dramatic literature. I mean, mm -hmm. it was Valponi. Um, we saw the cherry orchard pretty early on. And after a while, whenever we went to Minneapolis... I demanded to be taken to the Guthrie. It got to the point where they just dropped me off, and mm -hmm. they'd go to the shopping mall. I was like, "Well, have fun at the mall. I'm seeing, you know, something <laughs> by Jean Ennui." So, so, you know, there were those kind of two parallel tracks: the mm -hmm. college in my hometown, and then seeing how it was supposed to be done by the best 
by the best theater artists in the world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was that was that was also happening. And then my high school not being able to provide any opportunity. So it was like, what the heck? I've always said because as, as an adult, you know, especially kind of when I when I hit my quote unquote midlife crisis. Yes. Um, you know, I, I kind of revisited these urges that had started, you know, yeah. way back, you know, visual art. And I got back involved in theater and all this. But it occurred to me one day that if I had just had more exposure when I was really young, I, yeah. I might not be tripping through all of this yeah. <laughs> quite as much. Yeah. I'd never thought that I might have just gotten it out of my system. Yeah. <laughs> I you could know, be an accountant or something. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a pretty practical person. Yeah. And I'm happy to get something out of my system. I don't mm-hmm. need to hang on to something. I just don't need to do that. But there was no opportunity to get mm-hmm. it out of my system. So there it sat. I think it's kind of interesting, though, the the, the idea, because we do kind of flush through phases when we're younger that have to do with, you know, things that catch our attention and things that are manifestations of some aspect of ourself that we're trying to figure out. It's kind of interesting, though, when, for whatever reason, those become these lifelong things yeah. that we just kind of have yeah. to keep doing because yeah. it, it becomes this other tool for sharpening your sense of self um, and also sharpening your sense of you, how you interact with everybody else. Well, and for me too, I think it's how I explore the world. Mm-hmm. It's my way to explore the world. Mm-hmm. Some people, I, you know, did it paddling down rivers mm-hmm. and that was great. But I've, I've done it through the system of, of nonprofit theater in mm-hmm. general. That's how I've met and explored and celebrated the world, mm-hmm. I think. So when you when you did leave town, when did, when, yeah. where did you go to college? Madison, University of Wisconsin, okay. Madison, okay. yeah, yeah. What did you study? Theater. Yeah. You know, then it, it was okay. The hooks were in. <laughs> yeah, the hooks were in, yeah, yeah. Did my four years. Mm-hmm. And what what was kind of your most, your, your main focus when you were there? I think the, in the theater, what's always interested me most, or no, I sh- yeah, I think this is still true. I think this is still true. No, I don't think so anymore. But for a long time, what interested me most was either being in the audience or mm-hmm. being on stage. Mm-hmm. It occurred to, you know, I think I, I thought, well, <laughs> what you really need, you know, you can get rid of a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but you need someone on stage performing the act of theater and you need someone watching it. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things you need. And I'm mm-hmm. always happy in either position. So, so I pursued acting because that mm-hmm. was, it seemed to me that that was what was essential. Either had either had to be on stage or watch on what was on stage, and yeah, beautiful scenery is great, costumes are great, mm-hmm. directions necessary, but what's essential are someone on stage and someone watching. So those were the two. So I I was interested in learning as much as I could about acting. What what was that about? It's funny. I think sometimes people forget that it does boil down to to that most basic mm-hmm. thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's all the way back to the mm-hmm. the bards and the ancient storytellers and poets. It's like if there are two of you, yep. yep, there you go. You can do it, yeah. If there's one of you, yeah. <laughs> I went <laughs> you, hunting today, but doing who cares? Else. Yeah. I try not to, to dig around too much. I don't want to get too many answers online, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I, I didn't realize this. I noticed somewhere in your bio that it yep. said something about uh, the circus. The, yeah, yeah. When did that happen? Um, after college. Okay. I have to say one thing sure, about sure. college. Yeah, yeah. You know, anybody will tell you when you, that you're... You say you're in college, and they go, oh, what are you studying? And you say theater. Mm-hmm. And anyone, anyone will tell you that's an impossible way to make a living. <laughs> I mean, there's no one who says, what a great idea. What mm-hmm. a good choice. You know, I'm talking about aunts, uncles, grandmothers, former teachers, parents, siblings, no one, cousins, 
anyone you ever meet, strangers on the street will say, well, don't do that. Mm -hmm. So I did. And again, I, I said this earlier, I think I'm a practical person. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sensible. And I, I was a French minor. I always took French. So I mm -hmm. did, I did my junior year abroad. I thought, okay, I hear you all. Mm -hmm. I should not go into theater. I get that. I understand. I'm going to take a year of my college education mm -hmm. and, and I'll be a French teacher. I'll do it. I, mm. I heard you. I'm not dumb. So I, I did my junior year abroad, and I thought I'm going to give this whole year to, I'm going to devote myself to French, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll be a French teacher. I, don't, I have no problem with that. So it was interesting, and I'm really glad I did it, because when times got tough, I've never thought I should have been a French teacher because of that <laughs> year. A um, couple of things. You know, in French, there are a lot of tenses. Mm -hmm. And I learned that I was, I want, I spoke French. I still speak French. Je parle français. But I was interested in saying, I'm doing this. I will do this. Mm -hmm. Or I did this. I, I was like, okay, I'm good for three tenses. Other people who were passionate about French could tell you, no, if I had done it before I did that, <laughs> when I did this, you should put a D on the end of that. I didn't care. Also, I was happy to say, c'est rouge. Mm -hmm. Look, that's a red cloth, c'est rouge. But another friend of mine could go, mais non, ça c'est pas rouge, c'est... And she would tell you what shade of red it was. <laughs> I thought, no, it's just a red. That's as, that's as far as I'm going. So that was educational. Mm -hmm. I was not passionate about the language. I was interested, but within six weeks, I was making puppets. <laughs> There was a, you know, it's France, and every city has a, a, ministry, a ministry of culture. Right, you know, they right. have somebody, an artist on payroll. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And their, their artist that year in the town that I was at in Aix-en-Provence in southern France mm -hmm. was a puppeteer. So within six weeks, I was making puppets. And my puppets would do things in the future. They would do things in the past. They would do things in the present. But I was not. <laughs> so, so, so I learned that. I did not have a passion for the mm -hmm. French language. I mean, I love it. It's a beautiful language, but it's not where I wanted to, what I wanted to spend my life doing. Sure. So that was very sure. useful. Sure. So I did do that. So the circus. So I finished college in 1974, and there was a recession on, and there mm -hmm. were no jobs. Mm -hmm. And I had not gotten education credits. Um, my parents paid for college. The deal in my family, I think everybody's family has a different deal. They paid for four years of college. Mm -hmm. And I was smart enough to go four years. I'll get my degree in four years because mm -hmm. I don't want to pay for a year of college. So I did that. I got my degree in theater. <laughs> Against all warnings. Yeah. Against all warnings. But no, I didn't want to teach French. And no job prospects. Mm -hmm. Now, a childhood friend, and I say we go way back. This is how far back we go. His father delivered me. Mm. That's how far back we That's go. That's pretty far. That's far. His father delivered me. He had always wanted to be a circus clown. It was his <laughs> thing. It wasn't my thing. I mm -hmm. wanted to, you know, work on that production of Valpony that I'd seen at the Guthrie. Um, play Lady Politic would be. Um, but he, Paul, my friend Paul, always wanted to be a clown. And he, oh, he's a fascinating person because he knows so much about the circus. Mm. And he was at, in Madison, which is a big school, I think 45,000 students you don't see anybody from one month to the next you just don't run into people it's mm -hmm. too big but I ran into Paul on the street 
our senior year, and he said, guess what? I've got a job. I'm going to be a clown for a circus. So I was thrilled. This yeah. man who I've known yeah. since birth was going to realize a life's dream. And running down University Avenue, not knowing what my job prospects were at all, I said, get me a job working for the circus. And he said, what can you do? And I said, because this Paul and I had done puppets together when we were kids. I mm -hmm. said, we'll do a puppet show at the sideshow. I'll be the ringmistress. Um, I'll play the organ. And uh, we both disappeared into classrooms. Did you, do you play the organ? I didn't at the okay. time. <laughs> <laughs> I played piano, but mm. I didn't play the organ. But I could learn, I thought. So, you know, I Paul, ran into Paul a couple months later. It wasn't going to work. The, and I, this is a, also an important part of this story. Mm. It was a brand new circus. It was brand new. Wow. It was being by a, a, started by a school teacher who taught industrial arts mm -hmm. at a high school in central Wisconsin. It was brand new. So then I run into Paul a couple months later, and he says, you got the job. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is he talking about? <laughs> you, you know, you're going to be the ringmistress at the circus. You're gonna, we're going to do a puppet show at the sideshow, Miss Elizabeth Circus Puppet Theater. And uh, you're going to play the organ. Well, I was in shock. Um, you know, but it, I'm working, you know, I've got a job. I think I'm, you know, got 20 credits. I'm in a show. You know, you're a senior in college. You're doing everything. And I wanted to get out of it. I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, my friends and I thought it was a joke. <laughs> this is going to work for a circus. <laughs> I felt, you know, I felt like I told, somehow told this guy I'd do it. Mm. So... I, I just thought, well, I'll do it for the summer. I'll, you, know, you know, parental support was stopping on graduation right, day. So right. I thought, well, what the heck? I'll do it for a summer, save some money. I can pay rent in the fall. And I'll go to graduate school and study costuming. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you're, not, you're never going to be able to support yourself as an actor. I started taking organ lessons. I made puppets. And this man who started the circus, mm -hmm. he, his, he had a farm. And that farm was literally at the end of County Road ZZ. <laughs> That's where we were coming from. The end of County Road ZZ. Mm -hmm. He was a school teacher. After school, he came home. He trained. He had seven goats. He did tricks. He had one dog, one horse. He'd saved $25,000 teaching high school. Mm -hmm. He saw an ad for an elephant for sale from Pakistan. He called Pakistan in the middle of the night because of the time zone change. He took his life savings, and he bought a baby elephant. <laughs> wow. Uh, it was 1200 bucks just to fly the elephant from Pakistan to Boston to Milwaukee. He went to Milwaukee in his pickup truck uh -huh. and picked up that baby elephant took her to the end of County Road ZZ, out into his dairy barn, and taught her to do tricks. He learned how to train an elephant by training goats. Mm -hmm. If you can train a goat to do a trick, <laughs> you can train anybody to do anything. That's a true statement. Write that down. I'll mm -hmm. say it. If you can train a goat to do a trick, you can train anybody to do anything. And that's what he did. He'd by that time, he'd trained seven goats. Mm -hmm. And so he trained that elephant. She's still performing, by the way. She's the second most famous elephant in the circus world today. Mm. Anyway, 
I got to Wayne's, Fran Wayne's Farm at the end of County Road ZZ, and I loved it. You know, I went in kicking and screaming because it wasn't my dream. It was my friend Paul's mm -hmm. dream. Mm -hmm. And this is what I say. I say, you know, when you're in grade school, you think, okay, this is grade school. I wonder what middle school is. Mm -hmm. And then you get to middle school and you go, oh, this is middle school. I wonder what high school is. Mm -hmm. You know, high school, you go, I wonder what college is. And then you go to college and you think, I wonder what life is. <laughs> and the first guy you work for when you graduate from college says, this is what life is. Mm -hmm. Take your savings, call Pakistan in the middle of the night, get a baby elephant, buy an old truck, paint it blue, put your name on it, buy a big top from somebody who'd gone broke after only two weeks the previous summer. And I thought, I knew it. I thought that's what <laughs> life was. I mean, it just, I couldn't, I just couldn't work hard enough. Yeah. Um, you know, on the, you know, we put up the big top out in his field and, you know, we went to put it up and we said, hey, Wayne, how do you put up the big top? And he said, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll figure this out. I mean, we were, it, we were creating something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And so that was a phenomenal experience. Um, I mean, you, I was going to say you, you actually ran off to join the circus. You didn't have yeah. to run very far, though. No. <laughs> you, yeah. You just drove over to join the circus. Yeah, yeah, we That's were there. Cool. That's good. Yeah. Then I became his booking agent. Uh -huh. So for the second, yeah, so during that winter, I booked the circus in mm -hmm. rural Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So I rented a car, spoke to every Kiwanis club in, in rural Minnesota, and I booked 49 dates for mm -hmm. him. He paid me 100 bucks a contract, so I, got, I came out $5,000 ahead. Then the, I, I stayed for two years because mm -hmm. I, I loved it so much. The second year we opened in... Uh, in West Texas, that was a that that year was harder, but it was a it was a life changing experience. Just as a total aside, when you yeah. started talking about the circus, though, I, I was thinking, um, what is it? Is it Baraboo, uh -huh. Wisconsin? Yeah. That yeah. was was that Ringling? That's where Ringling's from. So, so yeah. there's a was a circus tradition in yeah. Wisconsin. The, the Fran, I worked for Wayne Franzen. That was the mm -hmm. man I worked for, the Franzen Brothers Circus. It was the 105th circus to be incorporated in Wisconsin. Wow. Which is mind-blowing. Yeah. But it's because in Wisconsin, you know, you study the ringlings mm -hmm. in Wisconsin history. Mm -hmm. So you grow up with that tradition mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of the circus coming out of Wisconsin. Yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I as a kid, <clears throat> I, I was lucky that they still had the small touring circuses mm -hmm. when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember their name. Beatty Brothers yep, or something Clive like Beatty that. Brothers, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, they would come every year yeah. and they would set up in a field out by the airport. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it was just magical. I know. But I still, yeah. I always say though that it was because of that circus that I had my, my literal first glimpse, you know, behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. There was one year we were sitting mm -hmm. right next to one of the, the main entrance exit flaps. Yep. And, you know, I was maybe nine years yeah. old. Yeah. And I remember the, the flap opened and stayed open just a little bit. And so I'm peeking out because, you know, I'm like, oh, what's out there? Right. And I saw two clowns sitting on boxes, smoking cigarettes, yeah. chatting. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still love clowns, though. Yeah. Um, there was somebody in that circus who still did sort of the old Emmett Kelly 
uh-huh. Tramp style. Uh, tramp, yeah. And I'm pretty sure he ripped off the, because uh, I have a vague memory of this, the old thing where Kelly would sweep up the spotlight. The spotlight, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, literally your professional theater career started with the circus, yep. which is kind of, you know, I mean, that's... Yep. Well, then what happened? Well, I, I again, I'd grown up... Um, Sin plays at the Guthrie Theater, mm-hmm. and you know, early on said, "Okay, I want to be that person." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd read the bios, mm-hmm. Jessica Tandy, whoever it was, and because it was Guthrie's company, a lot of them had gone to drama school in London. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't watching Broadway shows where people had gone to wherever Carnegie Mellon or Yale or mm-hmm. wherever Broadway actors are trained. I was watching classical actors, and they mm-hmm. were trained at drama schools in London. So I'd saved. I'd save $10,000 working for the circus, I think. And thought, well, then I'll just go to drama school in London. So the thing that the, the man I worked for was Wayne Franzen. And I, I think the other thing maybe that's going on in your mind when you're 21 years old is do I believe in myself or not? Mm-hmm. Can I really do this? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I could be a costumer. I know I could do that. Everybody from Wisconsin sews, you know. <laughs> That's easy, <laughs> but could I could I work on could I be an actor? Mm-hmm. Do I believe in myself? Mm-hmm. And I I witnessed this man who believed in 1974 he could start a circus, mm-hmm. who believed he could train an elephant, who believed he could figure out how to put up a big top, and we did it. We figured out how to put up the big top. So witnessing that, I, I, you know, I made that connection. I thought, well, if Wayne can believe in himself, then I can believe in myself. Mm-hmm. So that was, the, that was the profound lesson I got from Wayne, is believe in yourself. Believe you can do it. Believe you can start a circus. Believe you can work as an actor. And working for him, I'd save that money. So I did... I went to London and I was at the Weber Douglas Academy of Dramatic mm-hmm. Art, which is, and I was there for three years. Came back in in London. What they teach you when you finished your professional training was not to go to either coast in the U.S., not go to the to New York or California. Mm-hmm. They said you don't know who you are yet. You don't have sense of self. If you if you go to either coast, you lose your sense of self. And it was the regional theater movement in the states was just coming on strong so they said sure. go to one of those regional centers so i went to minneapolis okay yeah went to minneapolis. which so that would have been early 80s 78 oh 78, yeah, 78 still. okay yeah yeah so yeah. really things were just starting to hum at that point yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it was a really rich time again national leadership for the arts there was there you know there, the endowment was in pretty good you know it, it was it, the endowment knew who it was by that point. It was not mm-hmm. new. It was well-funded. Mm-hmm. They had mechanisms for getting the money out all over the country, mm-hmm. large places, small places. So I get back to there was national leadership for quality arts production, whether it was visual or you know dance or theater, music. There was national leadership. Someone at the national level was said, this is a, a value of the American people. And for... For none of those organizations was it enough money to do anything, but but they they knew in their hearts the nation believes in us, right? You know, there's belief in what we want to do, so that enabled them to get a lot more money locally and regionally. But there mm-hmm. was national leadership. Mm-hmm. I believe in that. You may have picked <laughs> that up in my tone of voice. 
it's very important. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, and, and when, what you were just saying about, um, you know, the cultural ministries in France, how that's mm-hmm. just embedded yeah. over there. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> of course, know. Yeah. you know, yeah. the whole yeah. idea that, you know, we'll promote, we'll promote business interests and that's all we'll do. It's like, of course not. No, we'll prom- right. business interests and cultural interests and yeah. it's all part of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you wound up in the Twin Cities. How long yep. at that point? I was there for four years. Okay. Um, again, um, National Leadership, the Guthrie, had a great mm-hmm. touring program. So I did four um, t- tours from the, with the Guthrie, mm-hmm. which were union tours, which means um, well-paid tours. Mm-hmm. The Guthrie is a Lord A theater. That's a union classification, mm-hmm. but it means you're well-paid. Oh, good. And if you're on the road, you're you're getting a salary and you're getting per diem. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and if you're touring North or South Dakota... You have a hard time spending your per diem. <laughs> you know, it's not like, um, so I was able. I had some debt from drama school, so sure. I was, with that, with that Guthrie money, I was able to pay off some debt. Were there any, uh, not just personally, but I guess artistically, even any, anything stand out that you you were able to do while you were there? Short answer: mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. What was most educational about working for the Guthrie was it was done right. Mm-hmm. If on a scale of zero to a hundred, zero is completely screwing it up, and a hundred is doing it right. I mean, the Guthrie operated at a hundred and ten, mm. so very high standards mm-hmm. in all aspects of production, whether it was you know rehearsal or rehearsal process or production or you know anything that was done, you did it right. You know, at the same time, I was touring with the children's theater company, where. You know, again, on a scale of zero to 100 of, are we going to do it right or not? They were maybe at 10 or 20. And <laughs> we've all worked for those companies. Um, and they're a lot of fun, and we had great times. Sure. Some of the people were sober some of the time. Um, <laughs> but, but educationally, right, it was right. really beneficial to have been exposed to working with the top theater artists in the world. Absolutely. Now, when I was at the Guthrie, I'm happy to tell you, I was probably the least important person in the building didn't care. I don't care. You were in the building. I was in the building, and I was seeing how the most important people in the building did their jobs. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, when, you know, those were my first professional jobs, aside from the circus. And you want to be in the room with the most important, with the people who are going to do it best in the country. So, mm-hmm. and then you could go, you know, do the children's theater company and say, well, at the Guthrie, we did it this mm-hmm. way. Um, and nobody cared. But... <laughs> But it was highly educational to see how do sure. the best practitioners of theater in the world practice their craft. So what did you do mostly while you were there? Um, I did, I stage managed, mm-hmm. is that right? Two tours, and then I understudied two mm-hmm. tours. And then for one year at the Guthrie, I was a teaching artist. Mm-hmm. So you got a well-rounded experience, though, even there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Without having to deal with the funding side, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, I was not, fun, not <laughs> fundraising been, at yeah, that been point. Stuck there, yeah. yeah, yeah. So after that, um, okay. So at the same time, I guess I worked at the Guthrie kind of during the school year. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Horse Cave Theater was just happening in Southern Kentucky. So that starts all the way back there. Yeah, okay. it does. Okay. And my roommate at drama school in London was Pamela White. Mm-hmm. She eventually married Warren Hammock, who was mm. the founding director of Horse Cave Theater. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I would be stage managing a tour at the Guthrie or understudying at the Guthrie, mm. 
during the their season was kind of a school year season, and then I'd come down to Horse Cave for the summer season. Mm-hmm. That was early 80s, then 80 and 81, okay. yeah. So when you left the Guthrie, was that to go more full-time with Horse Cave, or...? When I left the Guthrie, I moved to New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, I okay. moved to New York, because that's what you did. That's if you, you worked did. in yeah. the theater, you worked in New York. Mm-hmm. And that was... N- I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. No regrets. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to know. I tried that. But it was not... Not um, not where I... Uh, I learned that it was not where I needed... Where I wanted, where my feet were going to um, walk on the ground. It mm-hmm. was not my mm-hmm. ground. I was there for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, friends fo- uh, founded a company. I was a founding member of that company. I... I Oh, I did a couple of shows in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I did a couple of children's shows in Vermont, but it was not—it was not a happy time of my life. Mm-hmm. It was a challenging, unhappy time of my life. Was that partially because of the challenges of being in New York itself? It wasn't an easy time. I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was—I cleaned houses for a living, mm-hmm. and I'm not—I don't—I'll clean a house. I don't care. Sure. I'm not yeah. above cleaning houses, but. At that point, I had, you know, seven years of education. I'd been to college and I'd been to drama school. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't make that work. It was like, why did I get all that education? And now I'm I'm cleaning a house for $6 an hour. Mm -hmm. I just, so I was broke. You know, I didn't have time to go to auditions because I was cleaning houses. Mm -hmm. It was just not, it was just not where my feet were meant to walk on the ground. Mm So after four years there, I went back to the circus. Really? I went back, yeah. Same circus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So wh- I, what did you go back doing? I, I, um, I felt like when I was in New York, as predicted by my drama school, I lost my sense of self. Uh, yeah. And I thought, you know, when did I know who I was and what I wanted? Mm-hmm. I need to find that person mm-hmm. again. And it was when I worked for the circus, so I went back. Hmm. Same circus, friends and brothers. And when I went back, I did the promotion. I traveled 10 days in front of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a different town every day. The friends and brothers did one-night stands. Mm-hmm. So I, during those years, I said I have met every person east of the Mississippi. I, um, I traveled with the bill poster, who was schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And so I traveled with two people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'd spend the day in a small town in rural Missouri, speaking, mm-hmm. uh, meeting with the chairman of the circus committee, and we'd go over their promotion plan for selling tickets mm-hmm. to the circus. And then at 6 o'clock, I'd be done there. I'd call the chairman of the circus committee in the next town, arrange to meet him at 9 o'clock the next morning at McDonald's, and... I'd drive to the next town, check into a motel, spend the night, get up, meet the chairman of the circus committee at 9 o'clock at McDonald's. We'd go to the radio station and the newspaper and the Mm -hmm. ticket outlets and do the same thing the next day. So you you have seriously done the life on the road. Not exactly the the romantic gypsy image of life on the road, but hard life on the road. Yeah, yeah, it was... And I, I, uh, I mean, I think, was I in my 30s then when I went back? Hmm. I went back in uh, 84. Yeah, I would have been 32. Hmm. Yeah, 
sent my parents a postcard and said, I've gone back to work for the circus. I'll be in touch. I mean, I, it was, you know, it was not a, not a great year. Mm-hmm. But, but I went back, yeah. But that got you through to... to uh, so you were, the, you were there for how many years? When I went back, when I was just back. there for a year. Just for a year. And, and then after a year on the road, you're like, oh. Well, I, was, I also was the booking agent. So right. I was, you know, during the off season, I lived in an Airstream trailer on a, at a county fairgrounds in central Florida, which is where the circus was right. spending the winter. Right. And called the man who had been the stage manager at Horse Cave Theater mm-hmm. in the early 80s, who at that point was the director of the community theater in Murray. Mm-hmm and said, hey, Hal, you know, I'm booking the circus. We're coming through Kentucky. You should have your community theater sponsor the circus. It's a great fundraiser. You can make $5,000 in one day. I was really good at that. (laughs) And Hal said, Liz, I'm moving to Louisville to be the director of the Shakespeare Festival. Hmm. You should move to Murray and be the director of the community theater. And I said, I'm on the circus's phone. I'm going to hang it up, and I'm going to drive to town and call you on a pay phone. So anyway, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I left the circus, and then I went to Murray to be the director of that community theater. Hmm. Uh, how was that transition for you? It was great. Yeah. Um, you know, as we said earlier, I'm from a small town in mm-hmm. northern Wisconsin. I believe in the... I believe in the necessity of quality arts programmings in small towns. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Murray. It's a college town. So it seemed familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well-established community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, re- I was ready to, to take the reins and run. Mm-hmm. I was just ready to do it. I had, you know, by that time I had promotional skills cause I'd promoted the circus. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned fundraising skills, which is a really useful skill. Mm-hmm. It's so I learned fundraising skills I just I was just ready to jump in. It was it was exactly what I needed to do at that point. So going into a small town like that, taking on the reins of something like their theater there at the time, what was uh, outside of the normal yeah. things, selling tickets, planning programs, all that kind of stuff. What was the big biggest challenge back then? Because I know you know I hear from people all the time about everything from shifting tastes to shifting funding landscapes and things like that. What were the biggest challenges then? That's a great question. Uh, were there challenges? Looking back at all, seems like it was so easy. <laughs> uh, again, I was absolutely ready to do that job. Um, what were the challenges? It was a good time. You know, we were mm-hmm. out of the recession by that point. Mm-hmm. Again, there was a college there, so the college people were really supportive of the community theater. Um, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe... Uh, you know, it's about people. So maybe mm-hmm. that, that it was personalities trying mm-hmm. to, because everyone's a volunteer at a community theater. Sure. I was a paid executive director for $16,000 a year, <laughs> however many hundreds of, th- yeah, I think I was hired for Just 16. Rolling in the dough. Yeah, yeah. rolling in $16,000 a year. So, but everyone else is a volunteer. Sure. So it's, it's, it's trying to get the right people working with the right people to have a successful project Mm -hmm. get those negotiating those personalities and i think maybe meeting deadlines just because some of the volunteers didn't understand that 
opening night meant that the set was done by opening night. But I mean, eventually we had written job descriptions for all positions so that if I'm asking you to design and build a set, this is what I'm asking you to do. I could hand them a written job description and say, why don't you just read through that and see if you think you can get all of that done by March 1st. If mm -hmm. there's anything you don't understand, let me know. And, uh, you know, communication was, was really important. Sure. Yeah. Remember years ago, um, it, looking back, I thought he was just incredibly experienced, but this was in college, so I think he was just a couple years older than me. Yeah. But a producer, um, and somebody was bugging him about trying to nail down which show they were going to start with. And he said something to the effect of, like, the show will come. The two most important things are casting and scheduling. And I realized, right. like what you're talking about, it's casting and scheduling, whether it's the cast, whether it's the crew, whether it's the volunteers. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the same principle. Right. right. Right people. Yeah. And keep them on schedule. Yeah, right. But because I'd worked at the Guthrie for four years, mm -hmm. I, knew how you were, I knew how a theater was supposed to be well managed. And I say, you know, I was the director of the community theater in Murray. I thought I was running the Guthrie. I mean, I, that, that's just, I thought, okay, I'm in charge now. We're going to mm -hmm. run this like, like they run the Guthrie. Yeah, yeah. It never, it never hurts to have aspirations. No, I, I mean, you know, yeah, aim well, high, yeah. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, you, you learned how, how to do things the best way possible, at least one version of the best way possible. Yeah. Um, how long were you in Murray? I was in Murray for six years. Okay. Um, we did two seasons. We mm -hmm. did a summer season and mm -hmm. a school year season, about nine shows a year. I think we did three in the summer, six in the school year. We did an, an, an opera every year. Oh, wow. We started a playwrights group. Mm -hmm. Again, I thought I was running the Guthrie. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a children's tour every year. We did a TV series on cable TV. <laughs> we did this building project where we, you know, we renovated the space. And I noticed that the building was not being used from four to six every afternoon. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty busy every night, all weekend, but it was, there was an opportunity four to six. We had a large youth program. Mm -hmm. And I went to the board and said, and the board had, you know, I said, I want to do an opera. They said, fine. I said, I want to start a playwrights group. They said, fine. I said, I want to do a TV series. They said, fine. And the board was, had been, always been very su supportive. I think we should do a capital campaign and fix the building. Let's, you know, let's do it. And uh, the, the building was vacant from four to six. And I said, here's the deal. We've got a, a large youth program. That's great. These young people need skills. Mm -hmm. And it's great to put on a play. They need movement skills. Mm -hmm. You know, fine that they do the dance scene in uh, Annie Get Your Gun. But they need, to, they need to learn movement skill. I would like to start a movement program from four to six, you know, so they can get skills, mm -hmm. not just put on shows, but develop skills. Mm -hmm. And the board said, no, we don't want to do that. And that was fine with me. I had no, no need to drive that board of directors to where they didn't want to go. Right, right. It, you know, it was a community theater, and I always thought the operative word was community. Mm -hmm. And I had no need to make it into anything other than that community's theater. But when the board said no, in my mind, I said, I'm out of here. Because hmm. I wasn't, I mean, I was in my 30s at that point. I wasn't interested in just maintaining. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good job. And I've, you know, since gotten to that position, let's just maintain. But at 30, I was still, what else can we do? What else can we do? So they didn't want their young people to develop movement skills. 
that was fine. That's their call. But that, that was, you know, I, I can remember very clearly the moment at the board meeting when I thought to myself, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So then it just was a process of, you know, calling some old friends and saying, I think I'm going to change jobs and, you know, calling Horse Cave and mm-hmm. them calling back the next day and saying, don't talk to anyone before you talk to us. Mm-hmm. Because I had learned fundraising skills at that point. And mm-hmm. you, you, know, you call any, any theater and say, I'm available. By the way, I have fundraising skills. They'll say, uh, we want to talk to you. <laughs> so, so that was... That was what I, I, then I went from Murray to Horse Cave. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you started at Horse Cave, what year? Uh, that was 1991. Yeah, that was 91 now. So by that point, you know, with your earliest exposure, sort of like you were saying in the heyday in the 70s with, yeah. you know, the NEA and, and mm-hmm. sort of that general uh, initiative, mm-hmm. had things already started to shift by 91? There was still NEA money. Mm-hmm. We still got, we, uh, Pamela Warren and I went to Washington every year and met with the NEA. Mm-hmm in the building that is now owned by Donald Trump. It's a friggin' hotel. But that used to be where the NEA was. That old, I think it was the train depot in Washington. Yeah. We went, anyway, we'd meet, meet with the NEA every year. We'd, we'd make that road trip because it's worth it. The sense of value was still there. Yeah, there was still okay. national leadership. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, we are a, I forget the NEA's tagline, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're a country where, where we value the arts and we believe that the arts add value to the, the lives of the people in our country. Mm-hmm. So there was still NEA money. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I could remember who I heard say this recently. They were asked, an artist, they were asked, you know, what do the arts do for you? And he was, he thought about it a moment. He said, do you know the idea of tuning a violin? And I'm like, yeah, like, the arts tune us. Huh. Um, so you wind up at Horse Cave. Yeah. And, and you were yeah. at Horse Cave how long? Eight years. Yeah, that, was, yeah. that was a good run. Yeah, yeah. When you got there... You said they were, at the very least, interested to bring you in. So at that point, they were how old? Gosh, uh, gosh, I think when I was there, the first brochure I did was their 15th season. Okay. 80s, yeah, that would be about right. And okay. then I was there, th- yeah, I, I did 15, and then, you know, I was there for eight years. I also did 20. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the 20th season. I think I was gone by the time they did their 25th. But I was there for both 15 and 20, yeah. So yeah. they were... Really, by any accounts, I mean they were a good mature organization. Yep. By on the, the time map. you came in, yep. artistically and and developmentally in the whole nine yards. Good um, subscriber base. Mm-hmm. I mean they were selling you know six hundred, eight hundred, a thousand season tickets a year. Wow. A good contributor base. They mm-hmm. knew who their funders were. I mean it, that's always a challenge sure. to get your funders, but they weren't. I was not inventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. I was getting out the the list of funders and going, okay, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it had to be. A welcome change for you. I, I mean, what you were saying before when you were in Murray, it wasn't so much that you, you didn't want to steer them in a direction they didn't want to go, but for right. you, you personally, you felt the impulse toward trying to do more, yeah. or, there, or there were some th- visions that you had of what could be done. So when you got to Horse Cave, was it all just sort of like, oh, well, this is more what I'm talking about, or did you still get to sort of poke and prod and... Well, you know, Horse Cave had a strong artistic leader, and mm-hmm. I worked for him. Mm-hmm. And I believe in strong artistic mm-hmm. leadership. I, I, I don't think art should be created by a committee. And if other people want Bless to do you. that, that's great. Let them do it. I don't <laughs> care. It's not, it's not in my experience, or maybe it's just my personality. That does not. That's not what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So they had a strong artistic leadership, which I think is a 
fabulous thing. Mm -hmm. So I was working for a strong artistic leader. I mean, interestingly, Warren and Pamela and I all had gone to drama school in London. Mm -hmm. So Warren had gone to Lambda on a Fulbright. So we, and you know, I say, you go to drama school in London, what you do the first thing every morning is you get down on your knees and you pray to the text. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's English. You know, they produce the greatest playwright in the history of humankind mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there's great respect for the language and but we shared that mm-hmm. it wasn't like warren was like let's devise some theater we'll just make something up and again that's a great kind of theater but that's not what warren's interest was mm-hmm. it was let's find you know plays by gb shaw plays by ethel fugard you know that you know plays by uh, arthur miller tennessee williams the great names moliere and and bring this text to life as well as we can. Mm-hmm. And we all believed in that. That's mm-hmm. how all three of us had been trained. Mm-hmm. So we had that shared value. It's, sure. it's about the text. And it was fine for me to work for that strong artistic leader. Um, I trusted Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and every year he'd walk back to my desk and put a piece of paper on my desk and say, this is the season that would be all my sons, the rivals, Bly Spirit. And you could pick up that piece of paper and you could say, this is why I work here because of <laughs> sure, those plays. Sure. And again, it goes back to working with those people from Ball State mm-hmm. who did James Thurber and Thornton Wilder. I mean, my earliest, you know, my earliest experience in the live theater was good plays, mm-hmm. good dramatic literature. And the same thing going to the Guthrie when I was a kid, Valponi, the Three Sisters, the Cherry Orchard, you know, the, the greatest plays in the history of dramatic literature. And that's what Warren brought in every year. So it was those titles that you could say, this is why I work here, because mm-hmm. I'm going to spend a year of my life working on Arthur Miller's play, All My Sons. Mm-hmm. No better way to spend your time. No, no better way. <laughs> so you find yourself there, you're in your, you go from your 30s into your 40s, I guess, at that point. Yep. One of the interesting things to me, being around theater, being around performance and the arts in general, but especially in, in theater and in dance, and especially in the latter half of the 20th century, going into the 21st century, um, I have always known and seen women in positions of authority, positions of power, leadership. Sure. Has that mostly been your experience? Like, so there, I mean, there you are, you're the executive director of this theater company. And was that just sort of, well, of course, it doesn't matter that I'm a woman or if I'm a man or whatever. It's just, we serve, we serve the cause. I, you know, it's, it never occurred to me that I had to behave differently or act mm-hmm. differently mm-hmm or do something differently because I was a woman. I've always thought of myself as a person, person. first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had a couple different experiences. I was, when I was raising the money for the renovation in Murray mm-hmm. of the train depot, I went to the fiscal court. <laughs> the county, the county, I'd been there a couple of times to talk to the county judge executive to, to see if there was room in the budget to make this, you know, one-time contribution for mm-hmm. the improvement of the physical plant. And um, he was a, you know, crusty old soul. And But I, I can remember going to the fiscal, fiscal court meeting and he hollered at me, I told you, girl, $5,000, now get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> thought, well, that was respectful, but I didn't care. Mm-hmm. What I wanted was the five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I didn't care if he called me a girl and kicked right, me right. out of the room. I didn't care. What I my goal was to get the five thousand dollars. And then in Horse Cave, I directed the Tempest, mm. which is a large show with mm-hmm. a lot of men in it. Mm. 
And, you know, I worked on, I did my pre-production for a damn year. You know, I, uh, and I, can, I think I went into rehearsal on my 50th birthday. I thought, this is great. But it was weird in the rehearsal hall because I was directing a lot of men. I think mm-hmm. there's Miranda and Ariel were females, but everyone else was a man. Mm-hmm. And the men were, you know, they were hesitant about taking direction. Well, am I going to do that? And I don't know about that. And I, I mean, I directed, you know, a hundred plays by then. And what, I just couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. But there was an African-American man in the cast and one night after rehearsal, he said, hey, Liz, do you want to have a drink? Which meant come over to my house for a glass of wine because uh, Hart County's dry. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, fine. And um, we were talking, and he said, what do you think about rehearsal? And I said, I don't know. It's, I, you know, there seems to be, you know, I, I seem to get, be getting a lot of crap. And he said, it's because you're a woman. And I said, what? I mean, it, and he said, in the male dressing room, the men have not figured out the pecking order. <laughs> and they're still trying to figure out, you know, who's the, I mm. guess it's called the alpha male mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. dressing room. And because they haven't figured out it in the dressing room, they're bringing in it in, into the rehearsal hall. Yeah. Yeah. Do I have to take a direction from her? Well, I don't know. Are you going to take a direction? I'm an alpha male. I'm not taking it. And, but it was highly educational to me because it was mm-hmm. like, well, <clears throat> I can't change that. Right, you know, I cannot right. change the fact that I'm a woman. But it but it meant that I could go into rehearsal and and I understood that's your problem. That's the actor's problem. Mm-hmm. You know, my problem is I need the best show possible and to get that I need you there now. So get there. Mm-hmm. And if you know, you want to figure out who's the stronger male in the room, you can do that out on the playground. But in here, I'm in charge. And that was a big, it was a big learning moment for me. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this guy was African-American. He was, he was more sensitive to that kind of social interaction, I guess, that mm-hmm. goes with people not behaving as good human beings because there's something else going on in the room. And I, I just... Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me that they wouldn't take my direction because I was a woman. <laughs> I guess that's kind of that was kind of my curiosity because yeah. it, it seems like, you know, one of the one of the blessings of the theater world, with some occasional glaring exceptions that typically we all hear about. But it's it's sort of usually boils more down to can you do the job? Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't matter how old you are, mm-hmm. what your gender is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's, we're all in this together to put on the best show possible. So if you've got some crap going on in your life, that's fine. Leave it at the rehearsal door. Mm-hmm. We're not interested. You can pick it up on your way out. But in here, we're all working together toward one goal. And, mm-hmm. and if there's something else, don't bring it in. Because if you do, you're not going to get hired back. I right. mean, that's kind of how it goes. Right. It's always been interesting to me that the, the fantasy still persists <clears throat> about pretty much anybody in the in theater world, movie world, whatever, of, you know, the either the prima donna-esque character oh, yeah. or the overbearing director, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But one of the things I've always loved the most is in, in most circumstances is once you're doing the work, I mean, yes, there are certain people who are charged with making certain decision, decisions, but it's an egalitarian environment typically right and you're out there to do a job together yeah 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 like that just deep satisfying collaboration 
Right. Um, right. And then it's nice, too, because it usually has a, a, a terminal date. We're going to do this from here yes. to here. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and then it's over. Ciao. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. That is helpful, isn't it? So yeah. all, that, all that stuff yeah. that you had to leave at the door, you can just yeah. take with you and right. <laughs> move on there. to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, good point. We're, I, I know that among the many things that, that you're active with these days, that writing is a big part yes. of what you do. Mm-hmm. Were you already writing at that point? You know, when I was in New York, I did have I did take a fabulous acting class in New York. Whenever mm. I thought, why am I in New York? This, but it was my acting class. It was Michael mm. Howard, the Michael Howard mm. Studio, and I would write monologues for Michael Howard's class. And I mm. never, not for yourself, but for other people. No, for myself. For yourself, yeah, okay, yeah. I, you know, like you had to bring something in. Out. Well, I sure. brought in a monologue today that I wrote, and I, I didn't put two and two together like nobody else was writing their own stuff, but it's it just what what it was, and I I cleaned at new dramatists and um if there was a writing class i don't you know they'd say hey liz do you want to take the class and i'd put my mop down and go oh yeah i'll do that so i was you know there was something there that i was interested in but there, it seemed to always kind of be on some back burner i mean it <clears> never <throat> occurred to me in college to take a playwriting class mm-hmm. i didn't do that mm-hmm. i went to uw that i mean university of wisconsin i'm sure they taught playwriting i never thought oh, i want to take a play i never but i would write stuff and then when I was in New York, I worked for a children's company in Vermont, and she was commissioning plays. And I, I said, well, I'll write a play for you. I mean, it was just kind of spontaneous. It wasn't like, I need to write a play. And so she gave me a contract. I think I wrote a couple plays for that children's theater company. Um, so there was something deep down in that, was, that simmered, that, that, that was there, that I just mm. wasn't, never developed. It was always kind of spontaneous. I'll write a monologue for acting class. Um, but then what happened was I was in Horse Cave, and I mean, I was always interested in playwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, in Murray, I started a playwrights group. We produced, I think I think I counted it once, over a couple of years, I think we produced 12 world premieres in Murray. Wow. But I never wrote. Mm-hmm. I, wa- I wanted, to, you know, I wanted the Murray playwrights to be writing, and they did, and Michael Dixon came down from ATL and dramaturged mm-hmm. them. It was great. Um, and then in Horse Cave, Warren had a fabulous program. It was called Kentucky Voices. He produced 19 world premieres hmm. over the 25-year season. You know, and a world premiere cost about $100,000 in Horse Cave. So he put some serious resources into hmm. that. And I was always interested in that program. Warren would teach a playwriting workshop in the winter, and I'd always take it. Not that I wasn't working on anything uh, in particular, I just was like, oh, Warren's teaching a workshop. It's Horace Cave, Kentucky. It's the winter. I wonder what I'll do. I might as well take the playwriting <laughs> workshop. But then what happened was the important man I worked for, Wayne Franzen, mm-hmm. who I had seen figure out how to put up a big top, who had taught me to believe in myself. Mm-hmm. I had witnessed his dream come true mm-hmm. when I was 21 years old. I got a phone call. This was in 1997. I was in Horse Cave. I just taught a workshop in Burkesville, Kentucky. I had just driven back. And Paul called, my childhood mm-hmm. friend who, whose dad delivered me, and said Wayne had been killed mm. in front of the audience mm. by a tiger that he had raised from birth. Oh. The tiger had torn out his jaw. And it just stopped me in my tracks. Mm. I couldn't... I didn't have the capability to process it. I didn't know what that was. You know, Wayne Franzen to me was such a hero. He'd come from a 
farm at the end of County Road ZZ trying to go. By this time, he had the best horse act in the country. Hmm. He had 12 Liberty horses. Those are white horses with black dots. They performed in unison. The Big Apple people will tell you it was the best horse act in the country. <laughs> he had 12 cats by that point, one hmm. of them named after me. He hmm. had a cat named Liz, who he named after me when I left the show. It was America's favorite show by that point. Hmm. Um, and I've got all the magazines to the Chicago Tribune and you know every magazine in the world that has written about Wayne Franzen and he was killed by a tiger that he raised from birth wow. and it just stopped me I, I didn't know what to do I didn't know how I could go forward and I had just been to Shakespeare and Company's workshop mm -hmm. in um, Lenox, Massachusetts or wherever they are and what they teach you is you know, there's crap in all of our lives. That's kind of what a lot of life is. Mm. But you're a smart person, or, you know, one thing you can do with the crap is to make something out of it. Mm. You don't sit in it. You take the crap and go, can I make this into a dance? Can mm. I, you know, what do I do with the crap? Mm. And I thought, well, I've only ever worked in the theater. I'm going to write a play. And I didn't know how to write a play mm -hmm. at all. So I thought, okay, I don't know how to write a play. There'll be one character, and it'll be me, and I'll tell this story. So the play was Liz's Circus Story. And I wrote that story about Wayne getting the elephant in his pickup truck and driving down to Milwaukee and training it in his dairy barn and Paul getting me the job and my mother going crazy because she'd paid for my college education <laughs> and I was going to go work for a circus. <laughs> and, you know, learning to believe in yourself and believe mm. in life's possibilities. So I wrote that play. I broke every playwriting rule in the book. <laughs> the play takes place over 23 years. I mean, ask Arthur Miller. They're supposed to take place over one weekend. 23 years, I never counted right. the characters. I mean, seven of them were goats. <laughs> I played them all. Uh, and it was just me telling that story. Mm -hmm. I took it to a playwriting workshop in Florida, WordBridge, and it was me telling the story. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, it was a workshop. I learned that the audience didn't like Wayne because I was always talking about Wayne. I was telling the story, but Wayne never came on stage. Hmm. And they resented that. If he's so important, I mean, this is kind of subconscious they're mm -hmm. thinking, mm -hmm. but if he's so important, why doesn't he show up? That's crazy. Well, that was a deal breaker for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, Wayne had to come on stage. I mean, they had, no, it wasn't, it was that the audience had to like, I mean, I was doing this as a tribute to him. Sure. So I'd seen Anna DeVere Smith perform uh. Crown Heights, Brooklyn, where mm -hmm. she played all the characters, and I thought, well, if she can do it, I can do it. So I started, you know, going into it, I didn't think I could write dialogue. It had to be just me telling the story. Sure. But if I had to get Wayne on stage, I had to have dialogue. So I took some of the scenes, and I made them into scenes between uh, Liz and Wayne. Hmm. And then I played Wayne, the guy from northern Wisconsin who wow. started a circus. And Liz's mother came in there saying, oh, honey, you know, you went to college and now you're going to work for a circus. And, and so then, you know, I'd done a lot of work for Warren Hammock. You know, I'd raised a lot of money for mm -hmm. that theater. Mm -hmm. 
I worked really hard those years in Horace Cave, and knowing that I'd worked so hard and believed so strongly in what Wayne, uh, Warren was doing in Horace Cave, I went to Warren and asked him to produce my play, mm-hmm. and he did. Hmm. So that was a big deal. It was a great experience. KET came, and then KET did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn a lot when you're performing a play where you break all of the playwriting <laughs> rules. <laughs> Because you're up there trying to keep the audience engaged. Right, right. And you can see them after an hour thinking, where is she? Is she in Kentucky? No, I thought she was in New York. Hmm. No, 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 she's back in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And they've stopped listening to your story because they're trying to figure out where the heck you are. Hmm. So you learn a lot about playwriting doing that. KET said, where, you know, they're trying to build a set. They're saying, where does this scene take place? And I said, I don't know. I think that's in her mind. Well, so, so, uh, so I did that. It was, oh, but what you had, what I had was story. Right. You know, I didn't have the playwriting rules, but you learn what the audience really wants is story. They'll come mm-hmm. back to learn what, and it would say great, Wayne Franzen's story is a great story. So, you know, going off in all these different directions, years ago, I, I just mentioned this. I cleaned New Dramatist when right. I lived in New York. And uh, this was, yeah, that was in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Well, someone who was staying at the new, at new Dramatist back when I used to clean it, before he won any of his Pulitzer Prizes, was August Wilson. Hmm. So back when I used to clean New, new Dramatist and he was working on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, hmm. we'd have breakfast. I'd have breakfast with August Wilson. Again, it was before he was August yeah. Wilson. It was... Fast forward years later, I've written Liz's Circus Story now. August Wilson has won two Pulitzer Prizes. I'd completely lost touch with him when I went back to the circus. Hmm. But he was coming to Louisville to do the piano lesson. Uh, ATL was doing the piano lesson. Hmm. And um, I, you know, I called information, got his, the number for his uh, office in Seattle, called Seattle, said, August, I don't know if you remember me. This is Liz Bossy was my name back then. Um, you know, I see you're coming to Louisville. You're going to speak at the public library. I can't be at the public library that night. I'm busy. But, you know, if you wanted to have breakfast, that would be great. So didn't hear from him. It was fine. My husband and I went to see the piano lesson. It was great. We came home. There was a message on our phone saying, this, this is August Wilson. And I was wondering if Liz wanted to have breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> so we did. We met down. I think he was standing at the, I don't know, the courtyard, Marriott, maybe. Uh-huh. And... I was so proud that I'd written a play. You know, I had written a play. And, but I, I, I knew I'd broken all the playwriting rules. Hmm. So I, I looked August Wilson in the eye and said, I'm going to write another one, and I'm going to follow the rules. Well, once you look August Wilson in the <laughs> eye and say you're going <laughs> to do that and you're going to follow the rules... You know, how do you back up from that? So that's what I did. I, hmm. I made that commitment... And, yeah, so it kept going from there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, the have you just been following the rules ever since? It's to the best of my ability. Yeah, the best of my ability. Now, yeah. when, you t- when you talk about rules, I mean, I know that there are, there are narrative conventions, there are playwriting conventions, you know, th- things that have become sort of tried and true just because, because they work. Mm-hmm. I, I've always loved the idea that the you know, greatest artistic expression is found inside boundaries, inside yep. certain constraints. Yep. Yep. Do you feel that's true of sort of the rules of playwriting? You know, I don't know. I'm a novice playwright at best. I'm just 
kind of tiptoeing in, but it seems, and so my commitment to myself now is learn the rules, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then later, if you learn, live to be 150, you can break them. But it seems to me that, yes, that if you, f- you know, your words were really good. If you force those constraints, you know, right within the rules, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately what you end up with in the theater is two people, or yeah, it's usually down to two people who are, you know, who are, in a dramatic struggle and mm-hmm. and that's what we're trying to figure out mm-hmm. you know and you're not releasing the tension by saying she's in another state now no you're in the same state it's right here right now mm-hmm. someone's holding a gun which way are you gonna go yeah and again no choice to get on a hop in a pickup truck and drive to the next state it's right here right now it's two people mm-hmm. And how are we going to figure this out or mm-hmm. not? So I, I, I think what you said, having those constraints can be really useful to force an issue or to force <sighs> that resolution or to, to force the thought. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think I'll, I think about a lot these days when I go out to live theater, and I and I have to admit, as somebody with a with a theater background, I don't go out to enough theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's the usual thing. It's you know, scheduling. Yeah. Um, and especially in a town like this where there is so much theater, but several years ago, I heard somebody say, um, after being asked what they thought about a play, uh, I think it would have been, I think that material would have been better served as a movie. Huh. Interesting. And I thought yeah. about that ever since. And I'm yeah. still trying to figure out what that means. Yeah. Cause I've, I've always, I'm a lifelong movie goer as well. Right. Um, so after I see a play sometimes and I'm, I don't want to say disappointed, but it just something is nagging at me like why didn't that work that's one of the little questions that'll pop in my head is well how would it have been as a movie and would that have made any difference so these days for you as a theater goer as a playwright somebody who is trying to honor the rules of playwriting right um how do you feel kind of about the the state of the playwriting side of things like you said before you know you you were trained in the school that said worship the text yep how's the how's the text look these days you know i just this year has been a great year. This spring since Christmas, mm. you know, it's been great in Louisville for new plays. Mm-hmm. 502 did a mm-hmm. play by Eli Keel. Excellent play. Um, yeah. yeah, Pandora has done a couple readings, one by mm. Eli, one by... Okay, that'll come to me. But, you know, Pandora's been <laughs> sure, doing readings. Sure. Um, I've seen a couple other... Oh, it seems like I've seen other new... Oh, uh, Diana Grisanti, mm-hmm. right, Looking right. for Lilith, did Diana's play. Yeah. So it's all... I just think it's great that there's so much new work by local people mm-hmm. being produced mm-hmm. and aside from that i think that's terrific that there's any energy there is fabulous mm-hmm. you know where their those playwrights are in their process and what they want to do with their plays up to them sure. um when i yeah I, I think that's all their call mm-hmm. um but i just think it's terrific that so many of our our companies 502 lilith pandora have been doing local, uh, work by local playwrights. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my excitement. <laughs> um, oh, Bun- the Bunbury, you know, just oh. did a new play by Patrick Kovacs. Sure. And yeah, so yeah. and they've done a couple of years. Uh, oh, one. Yeah. One years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Circling back around real quick. So you left Horse Cave when? Uh, Ninety-eight was my last 98, season. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that just sort of a natural ending point? for that or was there something else that was kind of the, you pulling know, you 
Laurence Olivier says the natural lifespan of a theater company is seven years. Huh. And, and I think, you know, some maybe last longer than that. Some don't last that long. But it makes sense to me that, you know, you, there's a group of people and we all love each other and all of a sudden we're collaborating really well and creating great things. And then, you know, you kind of get sick of each other. <laughs> and then you get pissed off at each other. And then it's over. And, you know, Warren was in Horse Cave for 25 years. And I think probably within that 25-year period, there were several different companies, mm -hmm. you know, people that came together. And then those actors would move on. And anyway, I did eight years and, you know, pretty burned out. Um, and it was just time for me. It was mm -hmm. time for a change. I had just seen the, a preview performance. I was in New York raising money because there's not enough money in Hart County, Kentucky to support that theater. So I was in New York. A member of our advisory group had given me a budget so that I could get out of town. <laughs> and uh, I was in New York and was going to see a show, read an article in the New York Times about Julie Taymor's new um, show that was premiere, that was just the first premiere was going to be at the first uh, the first preview not mm. premiere the first preview was going to be that night and it was a new show called The Lion King. <laughs> so I went to that and I could get a single ticket cuz you can you can usually get a single and it was of course mind blowing and decided I wanted to get back to my puppet thing you mm. know cuz mm. she just had those phenomenal puppets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So did some research her partner I think made those puppets in Portland Oregon mm -hmm. I was going to I actually talked to that studio was thinking about moving to Portland it was just, you know, time for a change. About the same time as life will have it, I met someone who had a job here. Mm -hmm. And at age 45, I got married. <laughs> so um, really moved it to... Happens, yeah, yeah, it happens, yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of what I needed to do in the theater. Mm -hmm. You know, what? You know that original thing that we talked about, are you in the audience or on the stage? I mean, mm -hmm. Warren really gave me the opportunity to do some great roles mm -hmm. but a lot of those needs you know from the little girl watching Valponi had had now been that, that my high school could never offer me mm -hmm. we're now satisfied mm -hmm. and also you know because I was year-round in Horse Cave I was management as well as artistic mm -hmm. I saw the lives of the actors who came through town not making much money kind of mm -hmm. going from digs to digs and um, it wasn't the life I wanted. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It, it, it's a good life for those people. I'm not. But it wasn't the life that I sure. wanted. I sure. just didn't want to, you know, be going from digs to digs. That wasn't. Mm -hmm. that, that just wasn't the life I wanted. So, all of a sudden, I thought I was going to move to Portland. But I met this wonderful man, and uh, his job was here. So I moved to Louisville. Got married. Moved to Louisville. But I mean, you, you sort yeah. of came here and for the first, it seems like from what you've said, for the yeah. first time you were moving someplace with a certain openness as far as what you were about to do. I Besides suppose. the fact that you were stepping into marriage and, <laughs> yeah. and that whole adventure. But you're right. That's a really nice way of describing it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't coming with, as my mother would say, an agenda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> said, I'm coming home. Well, what's your agenda? <laughs> I'm just coming home to see you. No, you always have an agenda. But you're right. I did not move here with an agenda or right. a professional agenda. Mm -hmm. It was, No, I like your word, with an openness. Yeah, yeah. So um, did you give yourself some, some time away from theater and from the circus and everything for a while? 
I did, and it, it's interesting. Warren Hammock was at my re, he read at my wedding, which was on Lake Superior in mm. Northern Wisconsin. And you know, afterwards we were eating dinner, and I was sitting next to Warren, and because he'd given me so much professionally, mm. he'd given me so many wonderful opportunities. I, I felt kind of guilty, you know, because about leaving the theater. I really mm-hmm. thought I was going to be doing something else. And I, I remember turning to Warren and saying, you know, Warren, at some point in my life, I will do theater again. And he looked at me like, are you crazy? You know, you, you couldn't help but do it, Liz. Right. Um, so, so that was there. I came here. I, I, um, I got my bees. Mm-hmm. I got my honeybees. I put in my garden, and you can see I was working in it just <laughs> yesterday until dark. My nails are still quite dirty here. And got a dog. Um, you, got, you, know, you got to be domesticated yeah, for a little bit. Uh, yeah, had a, as what they call a life. I can remember. <laughs> is that what that I got is? a life. I got a life. I got a dog, a husband. Yeah. And I've got honeybees in my garden. Real quick, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't want to like, get into your husband's yeah. personal life and all that stuff, but yeah. what, did, what does he do or what did he do? My, my husband's a federal prosecutor. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes I say... That's a beautiful balance. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I work in the frosting on the cake. He works at the bottom of the garbage can. You know, it's... <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's really interesting. But oh. I've got to tell you, the drama, the characters, mm. the human... Mm-hmm. Huh, whatever it is that he comes home with, you know, you just cannot make this stuff up. It yeah. is way beyond the ability of any of our imaginations to 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 create the lives that he sees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you guys, I, I, I would mm-hmm. assume. I mean, you were you were able from what seemed like sort of disparate <laughs> backgrounds yeah. to just sort of. I guess not only respect what you what you were about professionally, but I guess at the end of the day, none of that mattered, as far as the two of you. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I'm always I'm fascinated, both with people who come together who do the same thing, and that's its own kind of struggle. Yep, yep. Um, but then people who do what seem to be like wildly different things. Yeah. Um, yeah. For you guys, was that a struggle, or was that actually kind of a, a nice resting place? It's it's very interesting, you know. We again, we we live in completely different worlds, um, and in general, I'm fascinated by his work, the cases, mm-hmm. um, the puzzles. You know, mm-hmm. I say that we're, you know, we all work puzzles. Uh, my mom worked a crossword puzzle. You know, my plays are puzzles you're trying mm. to get the and his cases are puzzles mm. so we're, mm. I'm fascinated by the puzzles that mm. he works on sure um, every once in a while you know I'll say well what was you know what was he guilty of and how much time is he getting you know I'm every once in a while I kind of poke around at mm-hmm. do I really think that this is the best way forward for society for you know for the criminal justice system I'll kind of poke in there um, in general, I'm highly uneducated as to how as to how those systems work. So I I, mm. I can't poke with much expertise because I just don't have enough information. Mm-hmm. Does he ever poke back in your direction? Is, uh, does he like theater? Is he a theater person? His dad was the movie projectionist at the movie theater in Litchfield. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and he's the oldest of seven kids. Mm. 
um, sometimes when he was a little boy, not sometimes, I think regularly, his dad would take him to work and plunk him down on the counter and uh, say, you know, let me know when I have to change the reel. So he kind of grew up watching movies, which I think is kind of his way into... um, where I, you know, where I live my life in the world of fiction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So how long did it take you with the beekeeping and the dog and the husband and the house before you had to jump back in? Uh, Relatively. At one point, my sister, who's a poet, hmm. was going to be doing a reading. And she wrote an email, something I don't know, something about the reading. And I wrote back you know, well, to prepare for this, you should do this. And here are some vocal exercises you might want to do. And here are some breathing techniques. <laughs> and, you know, one thing to aim for is to make the sound conversational. And I, all of, I mean, I wrote this email for two hours and I thought, wow, where is all of this coming from? You know, there's something, you know, cause I had been keeping bees and walking the dog and putting in the garden and not at all respecting or honoring that part of me that had whatever it was, 30 years of experience in, right. a, in a field. So that that was kind of a clue to me. It was like, oh, wow, I guess there's some energy there, isn't it? You've just spent two hours writing an email to your sister telling her how to read a poem. You know? So <laughs> that was kind of a sign to me that, mm-hmm. that maybe there was something there. Mm-hmm. This goes back to the puzzle thing. I think it's useful to have puzzles to work on. And it's fine to have a garden and to be, you know, weeding your beans. But it's... In my mind, it's helpful to have a puzzle to work on while you're weeding your beans. Mm. And so you're thinking, why isn't that relationship in scene six working? Mm -hmm. It's a sister-sister relationship. I wonder if it should be a sister-old friend. And you're weeding the beans. Mm -hmm. But it's it's I think it's helpful to have a puzzle. Mm -hmm. It's anyway, it's healthy for me to have something to think about. So I I I kept pursuing the writing, even if I was weeding the garden or you know, and I always kind of set up some kind of deadline in the future, um, you know, to arrange to go to a writing retreat or to go to the new play slam so that I I had a reason to finish those next six pages of a script. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept those, I kept working on the plays. The idea was, okay, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do shows at night because I just married this guy and the only time I can see him is in the <laughs> evening. He works nine to five. But I can still create theater. I can create it in my mm. mind by mm. writing plays. So that was part of that solution. Liz Ventress, oh. circus performer, actor, <laughs> playwright, garden ruminator. Yeah, um, right, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Thanks for doing this. It's been my pleasure, Paul. It's been just great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.